morning to those of you watching online, as well as in the video venues. If you'd take out your Bibles, we're, we're going to look again today in Luke chapter 10. If you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, you know we're taking a, just a, a couple of week break, three weeks, and we're, we're looking at something that God's just really laid on my heart that I wanted to share with you before we, next week is, is Palm Sunday, then Easter Sunday, then after that, Lord willing, should he tarry, we're going to begin our study through the book of Romans. But God has just really laid this on my heart, and I've, as I've shared with you, that none of us, not a single person in this room or that is watching from whatever venue you're in is where you are by accident. God is a providential God. God is one that is a sovereign God and that he moves us and it tells us in his word that he takes all of the things that are in our lives and he puts them together for good, for his purposes, for his glory. And it's just something that's been laid on, on my heart, has been here in surprise now for about 20 years and just to see the remarkable growth of this city and all that is happening here. And again, not by chance that, that we are here as believers, as Christians, to make an impact on the community that God has placed us in. And so we've been spending the last couple of weeks looking at the parable of the, the Good Samaritan. And I want to read through that again with us together this morning. And then let's see as we look at the third part today. We talked the first time that we need to be looking through the lens of compassion at those around us, those people that we, that we come across. We can so easily just walk right by and see them without seeing them. And even if we do see them and take notice of them, if we're not looking through a lens of compassion, we don't see as Jesus sees. Jesus sees beyond the exterior and he sees right into the heart and he knows what is going on. And if we have a lens of compassion, as we discussed, it goes beyond pity for someone. It actually goes to the point of desiring to alleviate whatever it is that is causing their distress. And as we talked about that, Jesus saw that and he understood and explained to us in his word that the bottom line cause for all the distress that everybody faces is, is singular, is that they are sheep without a shepherd. That the only true answer, the only true solution to any problem that anyone faces is Jesus. That the core foundational solution is a relationship with him. So we talked about compassion the first week, but then also action, moving beyond the feeling and the desire to actually doing something about it. So let's pick up again. Let's read through, beginning in verse 30, Luke chapter 10. Jesus responding to a man that he had a dialogue going with. And the man asked him this question, who is my neighbor? And this is what prompted Jesus' response. He said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But Verse 33, a Samaritan who was on a journey came to him, and when he saw him, he felt, notice, compassion, and came to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him, and whatever you spend, when I return, I will repay you. 
Then Jesus asks the man this question in verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? In verse 37, he replied, the one who showed mercy toward him. And Jesus said to him, go and do the same. And we've looked at this from a couple of different angles, but again, just to, to reiterate here, now we have a man who is traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And it tells us that he falls among robbers. He, he is, and we looked at this as we could draw the parallel, as anyone in their life's journey. And just pat, traveling through life as it would be, falling among robbers, the world we looked at, that will leave anyone that turns to the world, bruised, battered, broken, beaten, and left half dead on the side of the road. Jesus does not tell us anything more about the man. He doesn't tell us anything, any details about his life. For all we know, he might have been on a, when he was going there, he was a robber himself. And he just happened to be robbed before he could rob somebody. And we'd look at that and say, well, it serves him right. <laughs> he, we don't know anything about him. And you know why we don't? Because it wasn't important. It doesn't matter. If he, was, if he was an extremely sinful man or if he was completely innocent in this whole transaction. And guys, I think that's important that we understand that because as we go through and as we come across those that the Lord will reveal to us, it doesn't matter how they got into the condition that they are. It doesn't matter if it's because of their own life choices or if they're completely innocent in all of this and have just ended up in this situation. That doesn't matter. The only thing that does matter is that they're in that condition and they need somebody to help them. And it tells us in the, in the parable, as Jesus explains, that this man, not again, not only stops at compassion, feeling, feeling sorry for that person and desiring to do something, but actually then moving into action. And it tells us that he poured oil and wine on the, the wounds that he had and he bandaged them. Oil and wine, an interesting combination when we look at that because oil is a soothing application. Wine, however, is, a, is a, what was used to disinfect, like, like rubbing alcohol or, or other things like salt. And we all know what happens when you put salt or something like that into a, into a wound. It stings, right? Well, just like, just like we're called to be salt and light in the world, when we do that, it will have a stinging effect. However, that is why the oil is so important to have that soothing effect as well. Because there's, there's, there's a couple of ways that you could cleanse something. You can use oil and, and, and that, and, or you could use sandpaper, I suppose. <laughs> The Bible, the Bible tells us, Paul says this in Galatians chapter 6, Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one, note, in a spirit of gentleness. Gently coming alongside. Having a, a spirit of gentleness as we do. And notice what he does next. Not only pouring oil and wine to, to soothe and to disinfect, but it says he also bandaged them. He put bandages on the wounds to cover. Guys, as we are called into this ministry to, to come alongside those, our job is to, to soothe, disinfect, and cover. Never to expose that's not our job. That's not our calling. 
Peter even says this, above all of it, above everything, keep fervent in your love for one another. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. So here we have again this great example of this man who takes his own resources. It tells him that he put him on his own beast, his own donkey. And with his own expense, took him to an inn, a place where he could find find security, find safety, find sanctuary so that he could be healed, so that he could get the rest that he needed, that he could be restored. There was an investment of resources there. And we've talked about that again the last last couple of weeks as we're talking about how we can care, the acronym that I've shared with you, Calvary CARES, compassionately, actively, relationally engaging surprise. And we've looked at now compassion and and actively, but relationally is the part I want to talk about this morning because, guys, if we're going to be effective in this It's going to cost us more than resources that we have, physical resources. Guys, it's going to cost us time. Many people look at that as their most valuable resource. I find it interesting and no coincidence and nothing insignificant in the word of God. Notice in verse 33, it says, but a Samaritan who was on a journey. He wasn't just out for a leisurely stroll. He wasn't just killing time on a Wednesday. He was on a journey. That means he had a specific destination. And no doubt on a journey, a specified duration. Yet he was willing to interrupt that to get involved in the situation. When he got up that morning, it wasn't like, okay, I'm going to go to Jericho today. And somewhere along the way, I'm going to stop and I'm going to take care of somebody on the side of the road. That wasn't on his agenda, but it was on God's agenda. It's interesting too, again, as, I, as we've gone through this the last two weeks and again here today, I think it's very important that we look at our, our primary example, the one that we are to follow after, and that's Jesus. And we see the parallels again of his compassion, his action, but here again now, how his, his willingness to develop relationship. One of, my, one of my favorite stories in, in the life and ministry of Jesus is found in Luke chapter 19. And you, you don't have to turn there. I'll just summarize it for you. And most of you probably know the story very well. The story of Zacchaeus. You know that. And perhaps remember from what, little Sunday school when you learned, you know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he? Remember? Climbed up in a sycamore tree. Yes. Nobody else? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> And so Jesus, and just to set the stage for you, again, same Jericho, this city is booming. It's, it's, a, it's bustling because it's, it's on the route. It's on the way to Jerusalem. We're talking, this, the parable we're looking at is the return route. It's on the way. And so many people are on their way to Jerusalem for the Passover. Jesus also on his way there. He has a specific destination. He has an appointment that he needs to keep. Yet on his way through Jericho, and again, imagine all of the people that are there. This is just a a madhouse of people as they're traveling. And now Jesus, this is at the end of his ministry. So he is very famous. And people are saying, man, this is the Jesus everybody's talking about. So people are following him. Huge crowds of people. 
Now Zacchaeus we're introduced to, and we find out that he's a tax collector, which right off the bat tells you two things. The Jewish people couldn't stand him because he had sold out to, to the Romans for a tax collecting business. He's a Jewish man, but the Jews, don't, the Jews can't stand him because of that. The Romans can't stand him because he's a Jew. So his only friends could possibly be other tax collectors, and they don't like him either because it tells us that he's the chief tax collector and he's rich, which means he's taken something off the top of everybody else. So he's got very few friends. But somewhere in his probably tax collector and sinner discussions, he's heard about this Jesus. And so when he hears that Jesus is coming through town, it tells us that he hurries on up ahead because nobody's going to cut poor little Zacchaeus a break, right? So he's in back trying to see over everybody, and he can't. So he runs up ahead, and he climbs up into a tree. And it tells us as Jesus is now moving through Jericho, it says this in Luke chapter 19, verse 5. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Again, Jesus is on a journey. He's got a specific destination, and he's got an appointment he's got to keep. But here he's moving through, moving through, and he stops. He looks up. He sees Zacchaeus, come down. Now, I don't know about you, but the first thing that pops into my head as I'm playing this video through in my mind is how did he know his name? He's never met him before. Zacchaeus, again, Zacchaeus wants to see this Jesus. He's, he doesn't know anything. So how does he know his name? And secondly, how does he know to look up in a tree? I mean, this is the last place I'd be looking for somebody. And the easy answer is, well, he's God, duh. But guys, understand something. And this is what we all need to understand. This, this is one of the key takeaways today, please. Jesus, when he stepped out of heaven, it tells us that, yes, fully God, but when he became fully man, he put certain things of his deity aside. He didn't just walk through and know everybody's name as he went along just because, hey, I, I'm your creator, you know, Bob, Sally, Jim, blah, blah, blah. You don't know. He put limitations on himself. The living word had to learn how to talk, just like every other child. So how does he know the name? Guys, the answer is so simple. And the, the, the blessing in it is it's the same thing that's available to you and to me. He prayed. It tells us in the word that Jesus regularly, and I'm, I'm assuming that meant daily, got away alone by himself and talked to the Father. And he had such a relationship, obviously the perfect relationship with the Father, that he heard and he listened. He knew Zacchaeus' name, I believe, without, a, without any doubt, that that morning he was praying, and the father said to him, son, this morning you're going to meet this little guy. His name is Zacchaeus, and by the end of the day, he's going to be one of yours. You see, guys, this same thing is available to us. If we will simply pray, seek the father's heart, and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, that same thing, those same things will happen to us. I love how 
uh, Oswald Chambers puts it, he says, get into the habit of saying, speak, Lord, and life becomes a romance. As we listen, our ears get acute, and like Jesus, we shall hear God all the time. He, I, I, again, this is, how the, this is how it plays out in my mind. He's walking through, and again, there is no one in that entire crowd that is more significant or less significant than everyone else, but Jesus had this sense of anticipation that he's gonna meet Zacchaeus, and he's gotta be looking around going, where is he, where is he? I know he's here somewhere, and it says he gets to that point, and again, I believe it says that place, I believe the Holy Spirit right there said, here it is. Look up. There he is. <laughs> Zacchaeus. And he says, come on down. I, I got to think that that wasn't a problem. He, he had to keep from falling out of the tree, right? <laughs> Zacchaeus, how, what, how do you know my name? He spoke directly to him. And notice, notice, and here's the thing, guys. Relationally, it's going to cost time. He said, I'm going to come and I'm going to stay at your house today. Notice a couple of things that he didn't say or didn't do. First of all, he didn't just look up in the tree and say, repent, sinner. He said, I'm going to spend some time with you, Zacchaeus. I got to imagine, again, grin ear to ear, looking him right in the eye, saying, there you are, buddy. Come on down. I'm staying at your house today. Willing to, again, on a journey, specific destination, appointment he's got to get to, willing to take the time because he knows it's going to take some time. And we don't have a record of any of the dialogue other than at some point during that day, as Jesus is spending it with him, Zacchaeus comes under conviction. He repents. He goes way above and beyond to pay back all of those that he's ripped off in, in his life and given his life to follow after Jesus. And I, again, I, I, this is such a great example for us. Because I can only imagine, again, Zacchaeus' response. All he wanted to do was just catch a glimpse of Jesus. But instead, Jesus said, I'm spending time with you. And he's got to be thinking, you want to spend time with me? You want to get to know me? You want to you wanna hang out with me? And guys, there's an amazing truth. It's a, it's a statement that's been around for a long time. Maybe you've heard it, but it's real. It's true. And we need to understand it as we step out, as God leads us in this, that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Are we really willing to invest our time, our lives? Do they feel like they are important enough to us to open up to us, to trust us? Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians this. He says, but we prove to be, notice again, there's that word, gentle among you. As a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Wow, that, that describing how gentle we were with you. Again, not coming across harsh. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but notice also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. Not just sharing the gospel. By the way, guys, that's, we have to share the gospel. That, that is absolutely vital in our mission. I've heard it said, people say, you know, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. 
newsflash, it's necessary to use words every time. They have to know about Jesus. They have to know about sin. They have to know about repentance. And if we don't tell them, who will? But notice again what Paul said. It wasn't just bringing that message to you. We were willing to invest our own lives into yours. And guys, that's what, that's what this is about, this relational peace as God brings these appointments to us. Are we willing to invest our lives? And even going beyond that, willing to be vulnerable, as we talked about in the first week with compassion, willing to even put our emotions in there, willing to do whatever it takes. Mark chapter 5 is an amazing glimpse at the day in the, you know, a day in the life of Jesus. Encourage you to, to, to just to read through that. This all happens in a, in a day. Jesus goes from one side of the Sea of Galilee across to the other side to take care of one problem, to meet with one man. That is a huge, huge chunk of the day, again, for one person, because no one is insignificant to God. He was willing to take that much time for one person. Are we willing? To go out of our way for one person. And by the way, that was the demon-possessed guy, the one that had so many demons in him. He called himself Legion. Jesus went across the Sea of Galilee for that one appointment and then came back. And when he got back, he was willing to invest even his own heart and emotions to come alongside a man named Jarius and share in his grief as his 12-year-old daughter had died. We see by the end of the chapter, Jesus goes with him to his home and raises her from the dead, but willing to put his heart out there and his emotions. And this man, Jarius, was a, was a wealthy, well-known guy in town. He was, the, he was the head of the synagogue there. But along the way, we also see in Mark chapter 5, this woman, we don't know her name, we don't know anything else about her other than she had a bleeding condition for 12 years. And because of that, she had lost all of her money. She didn't have, she was totally an outcast. Nobody knew anything about her. But it tells us that she, as a last, as a last effort that she had, she reached through the crowd and touched the hem of Jesus' garment, and she was immediately healed. But it didn't just stop at the healing. Jesus was willing to, again, in the middle of all of this, stop and pay attention to somebody that nobody else would pay attention to. He was willing to invest into her, not just heal her. He could have just kept on walking. She was healed, but he turned to her and he engaged talking with her. And he said, he even called her daughter, expressing that love to her. He was willing to, willing to be used in any way like that. And that challenges me again, even just reading through the chapter again. Am I willing to go wherever it takes for whoever it is? Am I willing to invest emotionally into people's situations, even though I know that that can be painful myself? Am I willing to pay attention to somebody that nobody else will? Perhaps go completely unnoticed by everyone else. It tells us in Isaiah chapter 42 this about Jesus. It says, a bruised reed he will not break and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. Guys, there are bruised reeds and smoldering wicks everywhere. They're all around us. And God's heart 
is that none of them would be broken off. None of them would be extinguished. As we, again, just kind of bring this, this whole thing together. Again, we see Jesus. He modeled this for us. That as we go through life, as we are on our own journey, there are people all around us who are beaten and broken and left for dead on the side of the road. And are we willing to, as we talked in the first week, have a lens of compassion that we look, that we, that we don't walk just blindly around. We don't just stay focused on that end or, or this is my task, but we're willing to say, okay, what is going on around me? Who is it that's around me? And are we willing to look at them with compassion? Are we willing then to take that next step and be called into action? And with that, are we willing to invest whatever that takes, whether it's resources, whether that's, that's, our, that's our, our time, our, 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 our money, other resources that we might have, our own things, are we willing to invest that? Because that's, that, that guy, that's, that's part of what it is that we're called to do as Christians. And I hope that you've been, that you've been praying about that. I hope that you've been praying for that, that, as we've talked the last couple of weeks, that we would see with compassion and that the compassion would move to passion, that, God, that we would be willing to let God put those things onto our hearts. And as we look at this now, and, and as I mentioned at the very beginning of this, this is, this is something that as, if we're going to do this as a church, it's something that we, we pretty much all need to be in on all of us individually, but coming together for that. Are you with me? Okay, well, I'm kind of encouraged. There was five of you. <laughs> Are you with me? Yes. If, if you're apprehensive, if you're apprehensive, that, I, that's understandable. Because as we talked about last week, the things that God might call us into doing, as a matter of fact, not might, the things that he's going to call us into doing are impossible. They're impossible in our own strength. But if we're willing, if we're willing, guys, I, I, this is, I, I got great news, great news. Just, just jot this down. If you're note-taking, you can read this later. It's in First Chronicles. We, we study through the Old Testament, by the way, on Wednesdays, if you don't know that. We've, we're in Second Chronicles now, a few weeks ago, again, in First Chronicles, as we've been moving through. And as I was reading through that and studying through it, it actually happened on Wednesday while I was teaching. God just so laid this on my heart about what it is we're talking about right now. You see, in, in 1 Chronicles, we're at the end of David's life. And David wanted at that time nothing more than to build the temple for God. But God told him, you're not going to build it. Your son Solomon will. And instead of being dejected and pouting and saying, well, I wanted to do that. No, he devoted the rest of his life to getting everything ready so that Solomon, when it came time for him to do it, he had everything that he needed. And in chapter 22 of 1 Chronicles, it says this, David speaking, my son Solomon is young and inexperienced, 
and the house that is to be built for the Lord shall be exceedingly magnificent, famous and glorious throughout all the lands. Therefore, I will make preparation for it. King David says, my son, there is no way he can pull this off because this is way beyond anything that he can do. So me, King David, I'm going to make sure he's got everything that he needs. And then it said David made ample preparations for it before he died. I'll say. It goes on to tell us that he amassed the materials, 3,750 tons of gold, 37,500 tons of silver, bronze and iron beyond weight, it says. They couldn't even measure it. It was so much. All of the timbers, all of the materials he lined up. And not only that, he then aligned all of the manpower. He got all of the people lined up. He got all of the stonemasons. He got all of the everything put together. And then in chapter 28, it tells us that he got the plan from God. David got the plans and he then showed the plans to Solomon. And it says this in 1 Chronicles 28, verse 19. All this, said David, the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me all the details of this pattern. So God gives the plans to King David, and he then passes them along to Solomon. And it says this then in verse 20. Then David said to his son Solomon, be strong and courageous and act. Do not fear nor be dismayed. For the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you nor forsake you until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. Understand what David is saying to Solomon. King David, I'm King David. I have gotten together all of the materials you need, all of the manpower you need, and I have the plan. You follow all of that, and you go to the Father. If anything you need in addition to that, you go to God. He says, you can't fail. Until everything is finished. Notice it's until all the work is finished, you can't fail. That's King David. Guys, we serve King Jesus. And King Jesus has made ample preparations. He owns everything. So if we use the resources that Jesus gives to us, and we walk alongside those that he brings alongside us. And we follow the plan that he gives us. That's why, again, led by the Spirit, seeking God continually. The plan that he gives us, guys, here it is. We can't fail. If we utilize the resources that he gives us, along with the people that he brings alongside us, and follow the plan that he directs us, we can't fail. Now, you might be saying, okay, that sounds great, but you got a verse to back that up? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Turn with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Verse 16. John 15, 16. Jesus speaking. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that, notice, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. 
Jesus is saying, guys, I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit. Your fruit would remain. And as you're doing that, whatever it is that you need, as you're using the resources I give you, following the plan that I lay out for you, you go to the Father and ask anything, and it will be given to you for that purposes, for that plan. Guys, can't fail. <laughs> who, again, we, we look at this and we say, okay, we can't fail. Who, who is the one who judges that in the end, by the way? God does. He's the one who measures success and failure, not us. We put sometimes and we say, man, we're going to set out, we're going to do this, this is how it's going to be, da-da-da-da-da, and we fall short. Again, whose plan is that? That's my plan. If we follow his plan, he will assure and make sure that it is done, again, until the end, until it is completed. We are, he tells us we're chosen and appointed. The word tells us, in addition, we are called and anointed to go forward and notice to bear fruit. Look back up a few verses, back to verse 5. John 15, verse 5, Jesus says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I am him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Guys, we get separated from him. We can't do anything. Our plans will fail. But notice it doesn't say here that if you abide in me and I in you, you might bear fruit. It says, he bears much fruit. Pastor Brad's got this sticker in his office. I love it. It says, fruit happens. It happens because we're connected to the vine. The, everything that is needed to produce that fruit. How many of you have a citrus tree in your yard? Everything that is needed to produce that orange or lemon or grapefruit or whatever it is flows through from the trunk, up through the tree, out the branch, down the vine, and there. Nothing comes anywhere else. That's where it comes. It all comes through that. And it just happens. Being connected. You take that branch, that vine that's, that, that has the fruit on the end, you take that off. As soon as you do, that fruit starts to die. And it won't produce any more. But guys, this is, this is glorious, this promise that it tells us. We stay connected and we use the resources that flow through. Fruit happens. And, and, that, and I, I, just to make this, just kind of bring it all together here for what does that mean for us? Guys, I don't know what it means for you individually. I don't even know what it means for us as a church corporately. I don't. I can't wait to see. But I don't. I did not start out with this with an agenda. I don't have, by the way, many of you wondering, well, where do I sign up? You don't. I don't have a bunch of things to sign up for. I need you to pray and see how God wants to use you. And when you do, don't think that any plan is too big, because they all will be. But don't also think that anyone is too small. Because again, nothing is too small in God's economy. 
I love when we were studying through the book of Acts, when we, when we look at what happened, you know, the church in Philippi, right? And it became this huge church, this hub there that, that Paul even writes a letter back to, and, and he went there for encouragement. I mean, it was just this major church. You know, remember how it got started? Paul went down to the, by, by the, the river because he was expecting a large gathering of Jewish people to be there. And when he got there, there was a handful of women there, one of which her name was Lydia. And he was obedient, shared the gospel. Lydia gets saved, and that's how the church got started. Philippians, <laughs> the church in Philippi. You, don't, you show up someday and you think, well, this isn't what I was expecting. You just be obedient. You just do what God calls you to do, and you never know what's going to happen from there. How many of you know who Ed Kimball is? That's what I thought. <laughs> Ed Kimball was somebody who was praying, saying, God, use me. You, you line up the appointment. You, you do this, and, and I'll just follow, and I'll be obedient to what it is you say. And God placed on Ed Kimball's heart one day about this, this young man. A specific young man. And he didn't know why or what, but he knew, he knew that he knew that he knew that he needed to share the gospel with this young man. So he tracked him down, found out he worked at this shoe store, and he goes in while the kid's still working. And he goes up and he, and he shares the gospel with him. And by his own admission, he said he fumbled all over it. But at the end of it, this, this young man kneels down and he accepts the Lord Jesus. Now, you may not have heard of Ed Kimball, but you've heard of the young man. His name was D.L. Moody. And he went on to touch and still his ministry. But estimates of over 100 million people were in his lifetime influenced by Moody's ministry. I'll tell you what, Ed's got a crown. <laughs> you may not have heard of Ed Kimball, but the Lord Jesus did. The Lord Jesus used him. And again, we might think, well, that just one encounter. But look what God can do with that. Nothing's too big. Nothing's too small. The fields around us, guys, are, are white for harvest. Last, last example in Jesus' life, John chapter 4. Just real quickly, this is a story again, most of you probably familiar with, the, the, the encounter Jesus had with the woman at the well, by the way, a Samaritan, tells us that Jesus is on a journey. We see that in verse 6, that he's on a journey. He's got an appointment to keep. But here he stops. He sends his disciples into town Jesus has this encounter with the woman at the well. And notice, I love this. This is important. Look at verse 4. He had to pass through Samaria. Why? Because <laughs> he's led by the Spirit. Father told him, you go through. Most Jews avoided Samaria. Even if it was the direct route through Samaria, they'd walk around it. Because Samaritans were there, and that's another story. But they, they avoided it. Jesus had to go to Samaria because he had an appointment. And he meets with this woman, and, and I encourage you to read through the story. It's, you see 20-some verses devoted to the dialogue Jesus had with her. Again, didn't walk up to her and say, repent, sinner. He had a dialogue with her. 
leading to not only her salvation, but she goes into town, brings out a whole bunch of other townspeople, and they all meet with Jesus. He ends up staying there a couple of days. Well, during while all of this is happening, guess who walked by all of those people, saw them but didn't see them, and then came back walking by all of these people, and then he sees the, the crowd around Jesus, and he's ministering to them and all of this other kind of stuff? The disciples. Because they were on a mission. We got to get food. Jesus is hungry. <laughs> Walking right by everybody all the way around. Tells us this as Jesus speaks to them. And that's where I want you to turn. Chapter 4, verse 35. Jesus says, do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes. As Jesus did to Zacchaeus. Lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I send you to reap that which you did not, you have not labored, others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Look up, look around, they're everywhere. Enter in wherever it is that God calls and leads you into. Last year, if you'll remember, if you were here last year, it was when God first started laying this on my heart, but I didn't allow it to fully develop yet. <laughs> and if you'll remember, I, I, we put out this email. It said, all in at ccsurprise.org. I said, and if you're all in, send an email. Well, many of you did and said, I'm all in. And then we're like, um, okay. That email is still around, and I want you to send me an email to that address too, but I don't want you to tell me you're all in. As God reveals it to you, I want you to tell me how you're all in. I want you to share with me as God lays things on your heart, your heart, as you seek him personally, what it is that he's calling you to do. And then if there's anything that we as the church can come alongside you in that to, to help you and to encourage you in that, we would love to do that. Because by the way, that is the role of the leadership in the church is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So as God calls you and leads you and directs you, would you tell me about that? I'd love to know. And again, nothing too big and nothing too small. Whatever it is that God is laying on your heart, I'd love to know about that. I'm excited about what this can all lead to, where this can all go. Led by the Spirit, guys. Led by the Spirit. Jesus was, as we see this. I've mentioned Jesus was on a journey. He had a destination. He had an appointment. That destination was Calvary. His journey led there. So that on the cross, he could pay for this woman's sins. He could pay for Zacchaeus' sins. He could pay for yours and for mine. So that we can stand before him now and say, here I am, ready for service. And guys, we are on a journey. And our destination, praise the Lord, because of him is heaven. But guys, our goal is to take as many with us as possible. <laughs> so let's continue to seek him and pray. <laughs> that God will lead us in this. Because as he does, we have to know, and again, we hold on to the promise that he will give us everything that we need. He'll bring along all of the resources that, that are needed in it. Are we willing to take those and invest them?
Would you please stand with me? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we again are just amazed by you. And Lord, we can't, we can't even begin this endeavor without again taking a moment to say thank you. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for never aborting the mission that you set out on. We thank you that our sin debt is paid because of what you were willing to go through on the cross for us. But Lord, you also left us an example to follow. Lord, we know that our sins are forgiven. Those of us here today who are born again, who have given our lives to you, we know that we have eternal life. But Lord, we know that while because we are still here, that life is here and you desire for us to have an impact, to have an impact on the community around us. You've placed us here for a reason. So Lord, give us the lens of compassion that we can see who you see, we can see how you see. Lord, give us, give us again that, that desire to, to get involved, to make a difference. And Lord, make us willing to give up whatever that, that, that entails, whether it's financial, whether it's other resources, whether it's time to build relationships, to build bridges. And Lord, we thank you that if we simply yield to the Holy Spirit, we listen for your voice, we follow, we use what you have given to us, that we can't fail. So encourage us in that, Lord, and we're excited to see what this all means as we step out in faith. In Jesus' name, amen.